All right, that was, that was quick. Thank you for, <laughs> for the obedience there, appreciate it. Wow, welcome everyone, welcome to Restore Church. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is John Glandon, and I'm one of the members here at Restore. I've actually been attending this church for the last 10 years or so. Met my wife here, got married here, had multiple babies, not here, but <laughs> at a hospital. And, uh, and are raising them up in the church, and so gotten to know, know many of you and, and others that are new. Welcome. Very grateful to be here. Uh, I've been honored to be able to preach a, a few times, and, and each time it is a, a weighty thing. It's a weighty thing to be able to communicate God's word. Uh, it says, I'm always reminded of, of James, not many of you should become teachers, for those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So there is a, a weight to it. There's a holiness, but there's also a great delight and joy in pouring over God's word. And as we'll talk about, there's great mercy and grace uh, in it as well. And so very excited to, uh, to preach God's word to you today. Uh, we're going to be, preaching, we're gonna be uh, learning from chapter 5 in the book of Matthew. So if you flip over there, it's uh, starting with verse 1 and going to verse 16. And um, so we're in a series uh, right now. Who, who's been here the last few months? Who knows what series we're in? And just shout it out. The King, the King. Yeah, in the book of Matthew, the King, about King Jesus. And we started the series with, with a few sermons uh, regarding the King's arrival. So this is Jesus's entry onto the scene through his birth. Uh, and then and, and the announcement through, through John the Baptist. And then we went to the king's inauguration. And so that was his baptism, the temptation, uh, and as Pastor Charles uh, preached, the calling of the disciples and the, and the teaching and the healing uh, that he did. And so now we're entering into a new sub-series called The King's Ethics. The King's Ethics. What does he expect of us? What is this new kingdom about? And so with that, we're going to read the scripture. Actually, before the scripture, I, I'm going to pray because I need it, we need it, we need to, we need to hear from God. We don't need John Glenn's opinion. So, <laughs> Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be in your presence, and we know that we're in your presence because you bless your church. You bless your church with your, your presence for each one of us who have called on the name of Jesus and have truly followed after you, Lord, we know that we are indwelt with your Holy Spirit. And so we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, emboldening us, enlightening us, making your word make sense to us and, and desirable to us, Lord. And that's what we really want is as we're reading your word and as we're learning from, from your word, Lord, may you make your words to us make sense. May it make it Dwell deep into our hearts, what you'd have us to know, what you'd have us take away uh, from today. Uh, may you give me the words to say, anything that comes from you, Lord, I pray that that would stick, and anything that is from me, Lord, I pray that that would just be disregarded outright. Uh, we want to hear from you, Lord, and so give me the grace to be able to communicate that and give us the grace to be able to hear that. pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, so starting in the book of Matthew, and so for those of you who are not familiar with the Bible, uh, Matthew is in the New Testament, which is the new covenant through Jesus Christ, and uh, Matthew is one of the four, I like to term them as four biographies of Jesus. So it's the first one, the first book in the New Testament, uh, and so we're starting in chapter 5, 
I'm actually going to start one verse before because I have a, a note there uh, that I'd like to hit on. So chapter 4, verse 25, And great crowds followed him, this is Jesus, from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Praise God for his word. Praise God that we can hear his word today. What, what an amazing teaching that Jesus begins in uh, what's typically determined as the Sermon on the Mount. And as you saw, he went on top of a mountain to, to be able to preach this sermon. And so the, the way I've, I've structured the sermon today uh, is, first I wanted to, to really, by way of introduction, focus on the audience. Who is Jesus talking to? And I think that will give us some light and some clarity on how to actually receive and learn from the Beatitudes. It's okay, we love babies here. We have plenty of them. We are very grateful for, for life. Uh, and then from, from understanding the audience that Jesus is speaking to, there will be two ditches that we want to avoid when we're learning from the Beatitudes. So we'll, we'll clarify those, and that will set us on the right path to understand really the purpose behind the Beatitudes, three overarching themes. One is that the Beatitudes drive us to Jesus. Two is that the Beatitudes point us to joy in Christ. And three, that the Beatitudes cause us to reflect Christ. And then we'll, we'll close with the application. How do we actually live that out? And so for those of you who are familiar with preaching, there are, are styles that will go verse by verse. In this preaching, I'm going to give more of the 10,000-foot the view, the overview of the Beatitudes so that we can understand it and we can learn from it uh, as we go through it. So starting with the audience, okay, who is Jesus speaking to? If you look in verse 1, who is he speaking to? Yeah, there's great crowds. Yeah, and 
His disciples, yes, those are, the, those are the two groups of people. There are great crowds that have started to follow him, and these are the people that, I, this is why I wanted to read in, in part of chapter 4, that started to follow after him. They witnessed his teaching as he was preaching in the synagogues throughout Syria and Judea and Galilee and all throughout. Uh, and then they've also witnessed his miracles, his casting out of demons, his healings. And so they're, they're following him around. They're interested. They want to hear him speak. And then the other group is his disciples. These are committed followers of Christ. They've committed to, to Christ. They're still learning who exactly he is, but they've, they've committed. They are, they are after him. They're with him. They're listening to him. They're trying to obey him, uh, and they're learning from him. Call him rabbi. These, these are these two groups. And so I want you to notice in, in verse 1, about the groups of, of the great crowds is you see the compassion of Jesus on this great crowd, right? He goes onto a mountain. What does that signify? Well, he's, he's elevating himself, similar to what I am, and, and he doesn't have this equipment that, that I have to be able to project out my voice, and so it provides a, a type of auditory experience that can, that can bounce his voice off so that they're able to hear him. And we know that this great crowd was able to listen in and hear him because at the end of chapter 7, we see that they, after listening to him preach this, this sermon or this series of sermons, they were astonished because he spoke as one with authority, not like the scribes. So we know that they, they heard him and that they were listening in and that Jesus in his compassion was teaching them and projecting his voice out so that they could hear. But notice the disciples what happens? Jesus sits down and they come to him. So they provide this, this type of inner circle, if you will, around Jesus. And so the primary purpose of the Beatitudes is really dedicated towards these disciples. The, this is his audience. This is the people that he's talking to. Others are listening in, but these are the people that he's teaching. And there is a parallel here with our church service. This is how we structure our church service the worship music that we sing together, the announcements, the fellowship, the message, all of that is designed specifically for the believers. We're edifying the believers. We're building each other up. But our doors are wide open. They're wide open. Anyone can come in and join us for, for the service. We invite others. We invite others through our evangelistic events in the neighborhoods and in the marketplace our friends and family and co-workers, come see, come see what it is to, to worship this Jesus. See what we're about. Just, just come in. We invite those others. We invite the crowds to come in. And so that helps to give us some perspective on this teaching that Jesus is, is teaching to uh, his disciples. And so that leads us into those, those two ditches. And so the first ditch that we want to avoid is okay, so the, this great crowd is coming in, so maybe that means that this is a blueprint. The, the Beatitudes is a blueprint for how we ought to live and everyone ought to live on earth. This is how we make this ideal earthly society. And so Jesus is telling us that blueprint. And so that, that is one ditch. What's the, what's the danger there? What do you think the danger is there? All right, I'll, I'll run through a test, and I think this will make it, make it apparent. Okay, who here is a professing believer? You consider yourself one of those disciples, one of, that, one of that group that would be around Jesus, learning from his feet, hearing him, and trying to implement what he's saying. Okay, keep your hands raised. All right, so I'm going to go through the, the Beatitudes. 
And I want you to keep your, your hands raised if just in the last week, at every moment, you uh, were obedient to these Beatitudes. So blessed are the, the poor in spirit. So this means that in every moment you acknowledged your poverty before a holy God and your total dependence on him for life and breath and everything, and even in understanding his word, that, that you needed him and you acknowledged his presence in every moment. Okay, great. So so couple hands are still raised. Okay, now, now, uh, now blessed are those who mourn that in every opportunity when you are exposed with sin, either in your life or in uh, the lives of others that, that you observed, that you mourned and you grieved over that, that you, you grieved and your heart was wrenched. Okay, still, still some hands raised. Okay. Okay, meek, blessed are the meek, then every opportunity just in the last week, you reacted in every situation with a gentle strength that did not give way into anger or temper or uh, any type of, of undercutting or anything like that, that you were, that you were perfect in this regard. Okay, so we've, we've lost everybody at that point. We've got, we got through three of them. So... In a group of professing believers, just limited to the last week, we saw that we couldn't obey this perfectly, and so how can we expect people that do not have the indwelt Holy Spirit to obey Jesus' words perfectly? So it's, it's doomed to fail right from the onset. So that is one ditch that we avoid. Uh, and so that might cause us to careen into the other ditch and say, okay, well, if, if it can't be applicable for everybody everywhere that they, they have to obey and follow this as a blueprint, then it must be that these, these, drive, these beatitudes really are only meant to drive us to Christ, acknowledge that our inadequacy before him so that we come to him for salvation, then we set them aside for this earth, and, uh, and it's really only going to be implemented in, in heaven. We already acknowledge that we, we fail in, in obeying it. So that... That must be the other, the other scenario. Is that, is that right? You guys see a flaw in that argument? Okay, you're shaking your head. See flaws? What's the flaw? Don't worry, I'll preach it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the, the, problem, the problem with this one is that it doesn't line up with what Jesus' words actually are, especially when you get down into uh, verses 10 and 11 when he's talking about persecution, particularly persecution on his behalf. And so these are people that have already crossed the line into faith. They're being persecuted on behalf of Christ. And so if they've already crossed the line into faith and they're now being persecuted and Jesus is teaching about what to do in this persecution, then how can it not be applicable for, for this earth? We know that it's not reserved for heaven because there won't be persecution in heaven. There will only be worship of God. There will be no one that blasphemes God or, or, or um, insults or reviles his, his disciples. So there has to be an application for this earth. And so the, the flaw here is that we would be unable to be salt and light on the earth if this wasn't applicable for the earth. It, it would basically make those terms meaningless. So that writes us. So... Veer away from one ditch, veer away from the other ditch, and set us on the clear path. These are clearly applicable for earth today. 
But the, these Beatitudes are, are meant for believers. And so what does that mean? How do we actually look at these? Okay, so the, this goes back to the point. So that second ditch was half right. It does drive us to Jesus, particularly in our unbelief, when we see the impossibility of obeying Christ's commands fully. And so once, once we're confronted with this impossibility of obeying Christ's commands uh, in these Beatitudes, then we realize, well, the promises, how can I actually have these promises, the inheritance into the kingdom? If this is the standard for entering into the kingdom, how can I possibly enter in? And so the, the unbeliever realizes that there, there is no hope. If this is the standard, if this is the entryway, I am not getting in. The only way I am getting in is if someone opens the door for me. Notice Jesus' words when he announces the kingdom. What, what was his first word that he said? The kingdom is at hand. What was that word that he used? Repent. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. John the Baptist preached in the same way. Repent. He's preparing the way of repentance. He's preparing the way for the Lord. He was giving a baptism of repentance. Why do you start a kingdom that way with repentance? Why not start a kingdom with your identification of the nobility and the royalty and what the, the, the new standards are? Why start it with repentance? We need his righteousness, not ours. We need an entryway into the kingdom of heaven. It's not, it's not the standard. It is the repentance. It is that poverty of spirit that acknowledges that we are morally bankrupt before a holy God and we need his help to, to bring us into his kingdom. Notice that in Matthew 21, it is the prostitutes and the tax collectors who got this. They realized their depravity before a holy God, and they were entering into the kingdom before even the, the so-called holy people, the people that were scribes and religious teachers and Pharisees. These prostitutes and tax collectors were coming into the kingdom because they realized that the only way into heaven, the only way, has to be through mercy. It has to be through grace. For them and us, Jesus may have well has been, been asking us to jump from here to the moon. It doesn't matter what the reward is. It doesn't matter what I offer you. If I say, in order to get this thing, you have to jump from here to the moon, you know that that is impossible. We also know that the resolution of that is not to keep jumping. And it's also not to ignore that as a command. But it's to rely on the one who observed that standard perfectly and completed that perfectly on our behalf and then graciously opens the door. That is the king who is announcing this standard. He is the one that has completed this perfectly. He is the one that, as I was going through that, would have been able to raise his hand the entire time and not limit it to just the last week. He would have been able to extend it through all of eternity because he always obeyed. He always obeyed the standard perfectly. And then he sets us free from the bondage of sin that, that prevents us from being able to live out our inheritance as kingdom citizens. See, Jesus' death on the cross, because you cannot meet the heavenly standard, is how you enter the kingdom of heaven. And so that's what unbelievers see when, they, when the Beatitudes drive them to Jesus, is that they realize the impossibility of obedience, that they need Jesus, they need to rely on him fully. But it's not limited to just that. 
The Beatitudes drive us to Jesus even as believers. It's not just that one-time thing. Believers, we strive, but we continually fail, as was noted in the test. We strive, but continually fail to meet this standard. Uh, and so how do, how do we live that out then? How, do we, how does that work? How does it work that these Beatitudes drive us to Jesus as believers? Well, I think it's really in two ways. One is that we pray. We pray. Jesus said, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. See, at the core of what it means to be blessed is this, this deep-rootedness of joy. Another translation could be happy are those, but, but happy is a little bit uh, misleading for us because we, we use it so flippantly, use the word happy so flippantly, and it's based on emotion, and it changes. This is a deep-rooted joy, deep-rooted contentment that is unshakable, and Jesus is saying, ask and you will receive that your joy may be complete. We pray to him when we're not meeting this standard, and every moment when we're reading, when we're reading the scripture, and we come across the Beatitudes and we realize we're not, we're not living this out. Jesus, can you help me? Can you, can you help me even see the sin that I'm supposed to mourn over? I'm so blind to it. Or in those moments when we do sin, we, we can mourn, we can grieve, and we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us in, the, in our groaning. So we pray. And then secondly, we trust in Christ to continually mold us to be ready for the kingdom of heaven. See, as Christ followers, we, we should have a progression of, of faith, a progression of godliness in our lives. We, name, we may not be perfectly pure in heart, but compared to when we were saved, there should be some, some progression there, and that is a God-given grace. We should be experiencing clearer sights of God than when we first believed. Again, we may not be consistent in our mourning, but we should be be more aware of our sins today than when we first believed. That is that, that progression, that trust of Jesus, that he is carrying his good work to completion and that we can see that. We continue to run to him. We continue to trust him, both in prayer and in overarching trust. See, being driven to Christ is what it means to be blessed. If our house is truly built on Jesus Christ as its cornerstone, this God-given joy is unshakable. And that is why we are blessed, which leads us into the second theme, which is the Beatitudes point us to joy in Christ. You'll see that in, in the Beatitudes, I, I separated out, basically, I'm, I covered the first half of each verse, and now I'm shifting over to the second half, those rewards. And so those point us out to, those point us to joy in Christ. Jesus promises rewards as a consequence of living out the Beatitudes, namely this possession of the kingdom of heaven, comfort, inheritance of the earth, satisfaction, mercy, seeing God, being called sons of God. How amazing is that? And a great reward in heaven for those who are persecuted for Christ's sake. See, we receive this joy, I think, in, in two ways. One is that we get the immediate blessing of the Beatitudes. And so, for example, if you look at, at verse 4 again, the, the verse on mourning. And so th think of a time when, when you, you truly grieved over your sin. You were, your heart was just wrought over your own sin, especially when it's your own sin. I mean, there's a lot of things, of course, that we can mourn over. There's injustice, there's suffering, there's pain, there's death. But at the core of all of that, 
all of, of, of the evil and the, the injustice and the suffering, at the core of all of it is sin. And, and really, we, we start with our own. So th- remember the last time that you mourned over your sin. Now, perhaps in that moment, Jesus brought this, these verses to mind. This is in Psalm 103, 11 to 12. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens is above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Is that not comforting? And does he not answer those prayers? Even if we don't know those verses, does he not give us that comfort when we pursue him uh, in his word and we're pursuing uh, and hungering and, and thirsting after righteousness because we want to see what God says? Just even as, as Brother Stephen was talking about this conference, did God really say, we want to know what God said through his word and we're hungering for it and we look in his word. Is that not more satisfying than any ideology that the the world can provide us. So we get those blessings in the immediate sense. But if we're honest with ourselves, we know that it is incomplete. We know that we have to keep running back to this well, and it's good. It is a grace of God that we can keep running back to the well and that he continues to fill us up and continues to give us the joy. But we leak. We get emptied. We, we get flustered, and we, we recognize and maybe even we're, we're uh, similar to the martyrs in Revelation where we plead with God, how long, O oh Lord, will you avenge us? How long? And we, we see all this terrible stuff that's going on and we think, how long? And we're reminded to be patient. See, we see in a, a mirror dimly, then face to face, but one day, one day he will deal with everything, every evil. And, and keep in mind, too, his, his grace and his kindness towards you because if, if Jesus came back 15 years ago, I would not have been saved. And for many of you, if Jesus came back 20 years ago or, or however long it was, maybe even a year ago, then, then you wouldn't have been saved. His patience is meant as kindness to lead us to repentance. And so he is patient with those who are still living in darkness But one day, one day, he will wipe away every tear from every eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Jesus has declared, behold, I'm making all things new. He will deal with all of it. And so then there will be complete and ultimate comfort. Then there will be complete and ultimate satisfaction. So we wait with patient hope, knowing that Jesus will bring this great work to completion. And in the meantime, in the meantime, while we're on this earth, we get an opportunity to reflect Christ, which is this third theme in the Beatitudes, to reflect Christ. Jesus empowers us to live out these Beatitudes. And the more we live them out, the more we reflect Christ. And so Jesus uses two analogies here, salt and light. And so in, in both of these uh, analogies, um, Jesus' point of emphasis here seems to be on the distinctiveness of both, the distinctiveness of salt, the distinctiveness of light. And so what, am I, what do I mean by that? Jesus, in, in describing uh, salt, 
he, he says, if salt has lost its taste, and so the distinctive quality about salt is its taste. That's why you add salt to food, is it provides some taste. But if it loses its saltiness, why would you add the salt onto the food anymore? It's not, not worth anything. It's useless. Similarly with a light, the distinctive quality of a light is to provide light, right? And so if you cover that light up, it's lost that distinctive quality. It's no longer useful. And so remember that. There's a distinctiveness in both of these. And so as he's calling us to be salt and light in the world, he's calling us to be distinctive. And so I'll use an analogy to clarify the analogy, which is a similar analogy, which is, <laughs> you guys with me still? Uh, which is, think of an ingre- ingredient that you really, really enjoy. So something that you can add to almost any dish and it'll, it'll immediately enhance it. What I hear is sugar, what? What is it? Shirasha? I don't know what that is. Hot sauce? Okay. <laughs> Cardamom? Yeah, so that... Slap your mom. Okay, great. So there's, there's a number of different, different ingredients we can add. Uh, there was a quick, quick side story. So um, about five months ago or so, uh, my wife and I went to Bend, Oregon, and there's a bakery there called Sparrow Bakery. They have a famous... Yeah, you know where I'm going, Ruth. They have a famous uh, ocean roll, and it's famous locally. You know, outside of there, they don't, they, I don't know if they do business outside, but um, maybe even throughout all of Oregon, it's really well known. And so their, their special ingredient there is cardamom. And so before Katie and I left, Pastor Clee asked us to bring back an ocean roll. He said, I don't care if you have to hide it in a shoe, just, just bring one back. And so there... There probably is a documentary of that ocean roll of how it traveled to get back there. It might have been in a shoe or two, but eventually it made its way back to Cleet, and he was very appreciative. And that was that distinctive element, just this, this cardamom. And so those elements that you described, those ingredients that you described to really make something, enhance something, that, that is similar to us as, as salt of the earth, is that we, we are enhancing Christ to people, or enhancing, enhancing the, the picture of Christ to people so that they can see a bit more clearly, so that when, when they see us, there's an attraction built in, something different about you. You didn't react the way I expected you to react. What is it? What is it? And we, we have an opportunity for a gospel avenue there to share with them the hope that is within us. And so there's that distinctive quality. And so Again, going back to the distinctiveness of salt, how distinctive are you in that quality that people are asking these questions, people are observing what you're about. Even going back to that conference that Brother Stephen talked about, one of the, I think, the spiritual attacks, this isn't in my note, but I I think one of the spiritual attacks that the enemy is using right now is to make the church less distinctive, make the church more like the world. And so if we're just spouting off the same ideologies as the world in the name of whatever compassionate ideology it is, we're not going to be distinctive in the world. We're not going to be flavorful. We're not going to draw people to Christ because they can get that same thing anywhere, literally anywhere. And so that, that is, that is our, our command, is to be distinctive. But there's a flip side to that alluring and that attractiveness, right? So think of an ingredient that if you added it to a food, you would just detest it. 
Well, you can shout some of those out. All right, I'll go. For me, it's, it's garlic. Garlic is a, yeah, I know, I know. Truffle is another one that's just like, I don't even know why that is a, a thing. Yeah, oh, you, I'm probably going to get some dislikes on this next one. So taking the worst part of the forbidden beast, the pig, bacon, man, you add those three elements into, yeah, I know. <laughs> You had those three elements, and you, you may persuade me to fast from that meal. This, this is just not something that I enjoy. <laughs> all right, now that I've won you all over. So, so like that, there's a distinctiveness about those ingredients for me personally, is that, that those things really turn me away from that meal, whatever it is. I'm sure you have those too. Well, we are that same way to some people. The same ingredient that draws some to Christ is going to cause people to reject Christ in us. It is going to result in persecution. Notice that when Jesus is talking about the soul, it comes after three verses that refer directly to persecution and specifically to persecution on behalf of Christ. And so in our distinctiveness, we are going to repel some, and that is to be expected. In fact, Paul writes about this, in 2 Corinthians 2, uh, verses 15 to 16, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. And as we hear about our brothers and sisters in, in other countries particularly that are, that are under the threat of persecution, whether that's imprisonment or torture or death, they're still out preaching. They're still out sharing the word of God and they're drawing people to Christ. The same message that's drawing people to Christ is causing and resulting in that persecution. And we have some of that here, although I think in a much lesser form, I think in the future that, that will increase. We, we should be prepared for suffering. We should be prepared for persecution. But in our context, the same allegiance to Christ that draws some people to that hope and that joy that we have in him is going to cause other people to slander us or call us bigots or homophobes or transphobes or whatever, whatever the, the flavor of the insult is that will come to us. And, and for some, we, we could stand to lose jobs or family or businesses or whatever. And so we, we should be prepared for that. But it's the, same, the point is it's the same message is going to win some supporters and it's going to win some and it's going to uh, win some enemies as well but the overarching purpose of reflecting christ is kingdom kingdom-minded people is so christ can get the glory you have to you have to think why did jesus save you why did he save you if, if the, the glory that was to be given to Christ was strictly restricted to your salvation from death to life, and it is, he will get immense glory for pulling you from darkness into light, into his marvelous light. He will get that glory. But we would have joy in his presence, right? Isn't it better to be in his presence? Paul talked about that. It's, it's far better for him to be in his presence. But he said to live as Christ and to, to die as gain. And so as we live, we live as Christ, and so we can glorify God through our lives. That's, that's why we're still here. There's, there's a purpose to your life. 
See, people see that the once rotten you is being beautifully transformed from the inside out. That's one way. Another way might be that the person who is dead set on living for the here and now is making choices that cannot possibly benefit them in this life that's coming from faith, that glorifies God. That the person who lived for yourself is making decisions that lift others up, even at your own expense. I know, at least in some cases, that was true in my life. And for some, that when the promises of earthly glory come, if you're simply willing to betray your Lord or what he taught, that you reject them, whatever the cost. You're unwilling to deny him, and God gets that glory. That's how you reflect Christ more and more. So how do we live this out? There's a, a song that Brother Han had, had played a couple weeks ago that helped to unlock just a personal struggle for me. It's called Jesus Strong and Kind. We're actually going to sing it right after this, uh, right after this sermon. And, and the struggle that I have is that I know that I'm a sinner. And so I get persuaded as I read the Bible that, okay, I needed to come to Jesus fully because I am completely wretched. And there is, there's no salvation of myself. I, don't, I didn't even desire God. He had to pull me from the, the mire that I was in into his marvelous light and save me. But then I, I get persuaded, and I, have to, and I really struggle against this, that, okay, now that I'm saved, I have to keep jumping. I have to get to the moon now as saved. Now, now I've got the Holy Spirit inside me, and now I should be able to do it. And so I forget that I still need to, to be drawn to, to Jesus. I still need to rely on him. Philippians 2, 13 through 14 illustrates this point. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we can bring our weakness to him. If we're, if we're inadequate in one of the, the Beatitudes or really any of the commandments in Scripture, we can bring that to God. Wherever we are in our weakness. In fact, it's in our weakness that Christ is strong and he can exhibit his strength. We can read about the, these amazing uh, believers who are devoting, I was just reading about it yesterday in a book, literally hours of prayer each day. And of course, you do that and you're going to reflect Christ more and more. That's a great, great thing. But if you're, if you're looking at that as I was and comparing how inadequate your, your prayer life is in comparison, well, the, the false way to go about it is to then get discouraged and think, okay, well, then I probably shouldn't, shouldn't pray. That is the enemy's tactic to keep us from bringing ourselves to Christ each and every time so we can bring that weakness to him. We run to him knowing that he's our strength. We recognize that our flesh and our hearts may fail, but God is the strength of our heart and our portion forever. It's in those moments, perhaps even now for, for some of you, that if we know our heart is not as pure as, the, as warrants the kingdom citizen, that he will cleanse us if we ask him. If in this moment I'm not as hungry for God's word, the source where we can understand all true righteousness, we can bring that to him. In fact, that's, that's one of my other weaknesses. I'll just share transparently. The, the attack the enemy uses on me is my familiarity with the Bible. And so I don't need to go to the Bible because I already know what it's going to say. I want to go to somewhere that's going to be new. You know, where I can apply biblical principles to this new thing and see it through, through the biblical worldview but that's not the source of righteousness. And so I bring that to him when I don't even want to read the Bible. 
I can bring that to, to Christ. He will be my strength. He will empower me. We have to remember that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So we can be humble before him in our weakness. Uh, there's another verse here, and this is what I'll, I'll close with in, uh, in the song that we'll sing. And uh, I just never thought about it before two weeks ago, but it really hit me. It says, Jesus said, if I am lost, he will come to me. And he showed me on that cross, he will come to me. For those of you who are lost, and just for awareness, that is how the Bible describes all of fallen humanity, starting with Adam and Eve, that we turned away from God, we went our own way, and in doing so, we became lost from God, could not find our way back. Know that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. You're not here by accident. You're not listening to my words by accident. You're not even going through what you're going through right now by accident. It is purposeful. In fact, where many of us are familiar with uh, John 3.16, right? Amen. We should, we should always be preaching that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Hallelujah. Amen. We continue reading on. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. It does not come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. When you come face to face with the light of the world and you see that you are nothing but a bespeckled mess of sin and filth and wretchedness, do you stay in the light or do you run back into the darkness? See, that's, that's what it means to be saved. Jesus has drawn us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Do we stay there? See, for some of us here that, have, that are believers, we've stayed in the light. And the reason that we've stayed in the light is that we can't leave. We can't go back. If that's you, if you are now in the light, coming face to face with the light of the world and you see your wretchedness before him and you've never done this before, even if, if you have, it doesn't hurt to, to bring that to him again. Then just confess what you already know, that you are not worthy of his kingdom, that, that you need him. You need him to cleanse you and to purify you. You want nothing to do with the darkness that you so loved before. You want to stay in, it, in the light now and for all of eternity. See, you don't deserve the kingdom, neither do I, but Jesus inherited it for you and has given you its heavenly citizenship along with its blessing reserved only for the poor in spirit, reserved only for the mourners, only for the meek, only for the peacemakers, only for the righteous pursuing, the merciful, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And just as the moon reflects the sun, Jesus makes you a light that shines in the world. And you draw other people to him. Many will hate it, but some will stay in the light as you reflect it. That's the power of the cross. 
That's the power of our Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We're gracious that you've, for those of us that you've drawn into the light, that you've kept us there, you've purified us, that you've saved us, that you're cleansing us more and more, that even now as we continually fail, Lord, we trust in you that you will bring this work to completion. That as we're, we're conformed more and more into the image of you, Jesus, we're just filled with joy at every step that we take, that we can give grace and honor to you at, at moving us forward, that we rely on you more and more. May you help us in our weakness. May we bring our weaknesses for you and to you, knowing that the enemy will try to persuade us that we shouldn't bring them to you because we really need to right ourselves. But instead, we just need to stay in the light. Stay in the light. Bring everything to you, Lord. May you move us. May you grow this church. May you grow us in our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, for those of you who need prayer, and, and frankly, we all need prayer, uh, Pastor Charles is in the back, and so he will pray with you.